Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and on tonight's episode, we have Dr. David Flatt with us to wrap up Romans. We've done five weeks on the uh, topic of Romans and on the book of Romans. We did an intro, we did chapters 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 11, and tonight, chapters 12 through 16, a section that deals mostly with the unity of the church, something that Paul was writing into as he wrote Romans and delivered this letter. There was disunity in the church, and so his ultimate goal of writing this letter of Romans, this beautiful piece of literature, this uh, word of God that we have and that we can learn so much from, was for the purpose of getting unity for the church of Romans. Uh, So with that in mind, I'm looking forward to David teaching us on this. Uh, There's definitely a lot of beauty in these chapters, and I look forward to learning about that together with you tonight. So let's go to David right now. Okay, so we are doing the last movement of Romans tonight. So we've done five weeks on Romans. Kyle did a kind of introduction, background Romans. Then we did Romans 1 through 4. Then we did Romans 5 through 8. Then last week we did 9 through 11. So we'll finish up Romans 12 through 16 um, tonight. So um, next week, so that's been five weeks. Next week will be our sixth and final week in Romans. And what we'll do is uh, once a semester, what we like to do in our group here is what we call an outreach group. And so the idea is we want you guys to, um, and of course we'll join in on this too, but we really want to challenge everybody to think of one person who you think might benefit from sharing a night with us. So there could be different kinds of people who would be like this. It might be somebody who you think is maybe kind of lonely, doesn't have a spiritual community, and we'd love to be that for them. It might be somebody who used to be a Christian, doesn't go to church anymore, is kind of skeptical of the Christian faith, and has never kind of heard a, a reasonable presentation of the gospel that came from kind of a uh, somebody who has thought through some of the objections to the Christian faith. So invite those kind of people. It may be somebody who is a part of a, a different uh, religious tradition. And so uh, we've had people who fit in all of those categories uh, join us for outreach groups. We do one a semester. And so we're going to do um, next week will be our outreach group for this for the fall semester. And so what we're going to do is it'll be the Romans Road. And so we'll walk through um, the story of Romans and kind of how um, Paul outlines the gospel through uh, the whole book. And so it'll kind of be like it'll be a, a non-confrontational kind of gentle, welcoming presentation of what is Christianity based on this one book that's one of the most important books in the Bible. So um, I just want to challenge everybody: don't be afraid if somebody says no. But ask everyone, ask one person to come with you next week. And uh, I think probably when you invite somebody to do something spiritual with you, probably two-thirds of the time they say no, but one-third of the time they say yes. So if everyone asks somebody, you know, we may have five or ten people here next week uh, that can benefit from a, a spiritual community that's, uh, that's sharing the biblical gospel and gospel community together. So next, that's what we're doing next week. We'll finish up Romans, and hopefully we'll have some guests here uh, to, to join us. We'll do dinner. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we'll do dinner as well. Okay. All right. Awesome. So that's what we're doing this week. So before we jump into Romans 12 through 16, why don't we watch the Romans 9 through 11 video? Grant taught Romans 9 through 11 last week. Some of the most difficult chapters in the Bible, but I think it's kind of helpful just to see um, see the video and kind of how they describe it. All right, so that's Romans 9 through 11. So what I want to do here is just kind of lean in, and we'll just kind of have a conversation tonight about the last part of Romans and see if we can kind of bring it all together. 
So I think one thing that happens when we talk about Scripture or think about especially the letters is most of us, uh, when we study the Bible, you probably study the Bible like five to ten minutes in five to ten minute chunks. Like you might have a little quiet time in the morning or maybe right before you go to bed, you get up and you know you read one or two chapters of the Bible, maybe three chapters of the Bible, um, and then, then you put it down. And I think that's good. I'm not condemning that. That's, that's kind of what I do. Um, but we ought to consider that that's really not the way that the, that the receivers of these letters would have read the Scripture, right? So Paul didn't write Romans 12 and send it, and then write Romans 13 and then send that one next week, right? He's, it's one letter, and so it would have been read beginning to end. So I think really to understand the end of Romans, we've got to kind of remember the context of the first 11 chapters before we look at the last five chapters. So let's, let's just do that real quick. So Romans 1 through 4... Uh, this is the idea that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. So I think when we say, what is the gospel, we're really talking about um, Paul's presentation in Romans 1-4. through 4. And this is how Paul normally writes. The first half of one of his letters is really kind of deep, thick theology. And so you kind of got to wade through it a lot. And the back half of his letters is normally like, now that you believe this, here's how I want you to behave. So I think you're often, depending on kind of the personality God gave you, you're kind of attracted to like first half of Paul's letters, second half of Paul's letters. Like are you a first half person or a second half person? And I think that kind of has to do with just kind of how do you relate? Are you a theologically oriented or are you more kind of um, lifestyle and life oriented? And so that's good because it shows that, that, that they're connected. And, and Paul does that well in all his letters. But the theme verse of Romans is at the beginning of Romans. R- Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. So I have that um, written there. If somebody wants to read that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we have a, a lesson that we uh, taught in here last year talking about what is the gospel. And uh, obviously we're not going to go through all that tonight, but just suffice to say the gospel is about um, redeeming sinful humanity and, and making us righteous in the sight of God. And so there's a temptation, I think, to, to put a bunch of adjectives in front of the word gospel and, and portray it in all these kind of different ways. And so In some ways that's all fine and good, but the biblical gospel is what Paul's talking about here that he's not ashamed of, and it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So any kind of gospel that is excluding some people for whatever reason, um, any kind of gospel that is not about um, the salvation for people who believe in Jesus. That's, that's not the gospel that Paul is teaching in the first four chapters of Romans. So the, the point here is we are saved by grace, that's your blank, through faith, that's your blank, in Christ. And so that might be just a good sentence to put an asterisk by and go back and look at the lesson Romans 1 through 4 and think about what each of those words mean because each of those words is really important to understand what the gospel is. Okay, so the second movement of Romans, Romans 5-8, through 8, Kyle taught this, the gospel creates a new humanity. So God is creating a new humanity that is being transformed by the Spirit. So now that we know how we can be redeemed, then Paul talks about when you're redeemed, here's how you live. Okay, here's how the new people that, he, that God's created through Jesus. Then we talked about last week, this Romans 9-11, through 11, the third movement, and this is really kind of deep question of, God, you promised that you were going to save your people, Israel, and now 
Jesus died for those who have faith in Him. And there seems to be some kind of tension there. And so how do you reconcile that? And so Paul goes through this really deep, kind of confusing, especially if you take it out of context, confusing thought process. But basically, Paul says, is that those who have faith in Christ are grafted in to the family tree of Israel. And those who reject Jesus are excluded from the family tree of Israel. But uh, the... The redemption and the salvation through Jesus is extended to everyone, not just one group of people, not just a group of people from one class who look a certain way, who have a certain level of education. Every person on the planet is extended uh, salvation through Jesus. And that leads us to tonight. So you think about kind of, so he starts really theologically, what is the gospel? Then he moves on to this new group of people that's formed, this new humanity. Then he talks about the importance of Israel and kind of Old Testament promise. And then tonight, Romans 12 through 16, Paul's got a message about unity. So if you think about kind of Pauline theology, he is like obsessed with this idea of unity. He talks about it all the time. Wants the Christian family to be one and wants us to really work hard to either work beyond, to work through, to think through together, or just to get over the things that might cause division among us. And I think uh, there's reason that's such an important concept in Paul's theology. And I think you look at Christian history and it's like, he was on to something. That's been a problem. Christians fighting with each other about stuff. Sometimes it does matter. And it's because we got, we got poor theology or um, kind of human ambition that's preventing our unity or things that don't matter. And we kind of have you know, majoring in the minors that's causing division. So we're going to talk about some of that tonight. So all that being said, the first kind of discussion question I want to throw out there is, what do you think is the most important idea taught in the book of Romans? I mean, I have an answer, but I feel like it's cheating. Why don't you start us off? Okay. Will I still be? I don't know. Um, I mean, probably some like longer answer that you know because of the righteousness of God, we're justified by faith and not by the law. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the so probably if you still down to some degree that we're justified by faith and not by law. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. The idea of justification by faith. Anybody else connect with an, an idea that we've talked about or maybe an idea that we didn't talk about in Romans? I think like the bird's eye view is just that God in general provides a way back to him, and that's you know in variation of other um, religions or thought processes. So just that kind of relationship is important in general. Mm-hmm. Like if you, without getting into any like the mechanics of it. Yeah, that's good. There's all these different things that separate us from God, but He always provides a way back. That's good. All right, well, maybe just tuck that one away. Maybe that's something you want to ask yourself once you've kind of read through Romans um, all the way through. and kind of Last re- week, a good one just thrown out there is God yeah. keeps His promises. Mm-hmm. We kept talking about that one. No, it's good. Any, go ahead. I think Romans like really to me makes God seem so big, like that it's all mm-hmm. about God. It's not as much about like the different people and what they think, and this is what the Jews mm-hmm. think, and this is what the Gentiles think, and the Christians. Like it's it's just so much more focused on like the like God and how mm-hmm. big He is and how like. 
like that he can justify and make righteous everyone you know yeah may not be like a, a major point of Romans, but I, I really was touched by uh, last week that it's not like it's never dawned on me that it's not a DNA based thing like Grant like to quote him right that it's not like a, a lineage thing it's not like a genetic thing right it's not are you uh, just born into a family or born into a tribe but that it's right it, it spreads across like high and low and far and wide mm, that's good good answers Good. All right. Well, let's jump into Romans 12, and uh, we'll just kind of go chapter by chapter. So what I'll do tonight, um, you know, you can teach different ways. I've taught Romans before, like verse by verse, and obviously we can't do five chapters that way. So what we'll do is in each chapter, we'll just talk about what is the main point of this chapter. Then we'll talk about a key verse that kind of demonstrates that point, and then I'll talk about like a gospel truth. What's the principle that's coming through in this chapter? And I just really want to encourage you, really in everything we do in here, there's a tendency, and I, I fall prey to this, um, to kind of come and be with a teacher. You go to church, and the preacher says something, and it, it kind of sounds good, and so you say, well, that's probably right, or maybe it kind of sounds not right, and you think, oh, well, I think something kind of different. And I just want to encourage you, like, that's that's not really the Christian calling for discipleship and how we should interact with teaching. So what we should do is we should come together, and we should try to sharpen each other with teaching, and then you should go back and read your Bible for yourself, right? And so you, if I say something that contradicts the Word, then let's, like, tell me about it and let's all go with the word right i don't have any pretext of like i'm teaching what's right here only way i'm teaching what's right is if i'm teaching what's consistent with the word so we're gonna run through romans 12 here and so i think you ought to go back and read romans 12 this week and say well david says this is that what paul said is he reading it the right way and i think really that's how we sharpen each other and decide that's when discipleship and community matters as opposed to just come and hey kyle's a smart guy he read this hey what he's saying is probably right what Kyle's saying is probably right, but you have reason to trust him because he um, submits to the authority of the Word. And so I want to be in a community that all do that, which means it's kind of Sunday school and cliche, but you got to read your Bible, right? If you want to be following Jesus, we got to be uh, in our Bible. So Romans 12, what is the key point? We worship, you, we worship God by offering your life as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. So both of these words here I think are really important. So I just want to, this is not my analogy, but I think it's really helpful. So you can imagine the logistics of Old Testament law and and a sacrifice. So what is significant about that sacrifice? Of course, it's a dead sacrifice, right? So you, you take a lamb or a goat, you slaughter it, you place it on the altar, right? And so there's things about that that I would not know how to do, and it would be kind of difficult for me to figure out how to do it. But I, I can imagine the logistics would not be that difficult. You kill it, you put it on the altar, you confess your sins, you light it on fire, you sacrifice it to God. The problem with the living sacrifice is it's not dead, it's alive. So when it gets on the altar, it can hop back off, right? And so that's what we are. We can offer ourselves as living sacrifices for a day or a week or a month, but it's got to be a continual commitment because we're still alive. And so you can choose to get off the altar. And so, uh, you know, I love worship in the sense that we kind of formally think about it. We go and we sing in community. We worship with music together. Uh, but part of worship is also how we live, and it's how we offer our lives as sacrifices. So you have the option to live for or against God. And so to be a living sacrifice means to choose to get up on the altar, not just once, but daily, over and over and over again. So this is how Paul says it, Romans 12, 1 through 2. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living, sac- living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's a great, great verse. That's um, Lauren's dad's one of the best men, I think, in the world. Just an incredible man, and this is his favorite verse. And so uh, it's a good one. Um, but so I want to talk about the gospel truth here, and this is this idea of not conforming but being transformed. So if you have ever read any kind of like leadership book or thought about being a leader, well, even if you're just like leading your family, there's kind of two basic paradigms that you go through. Almost every organization thinks about how can we manage behavior? How can I make my kids obey me? How can I make my employees do what I want them to do? How can I make the students in the med school class show up for class and follow the rules and pick up their packets or however, whatever it is you guys study with. Uh, now we have these big, thick paper packets. Y'all probably don't have that, right? Do y'all have mailboxes? Okay. We had a mailbox. They put our paper packets in it each, each uh, block, and we go pick them up. They don't do that anymore? Well, that's what we did. So you manage behavior. You try to figure out how can we get people to do certain things. Um, but, of course, that is not the right way to lead. What you do is you should create culture and then you don't have to manage behavior. So you want to create, we try to create a culture in our family where we honor our family and we honor God. So we always tell our children, you know, like you want to honor your father and mother, you want to honor God with how you live. And so you teach that principle, you create a culture, and then, of course, we still have to manage behavior some, but you have to manage a lot less behavior because there's an expectation and a culture uh, that, that people conform to. And you, you don't conform to culture because you're a good person. You conform to culture because that's what humans do. All right? So the point is, if you live in a culture, you will become like that culture unless you're intentional and discerning about what is good in that culture and what is bad in that culture. Right? So Paul here, this is the warning that's kind of, and Paul is so brilliant, but this is like a, a deep revelation of like what human psychology is all about and here's a suggestion to like overcome that he says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you need to think through how you live so that you can find what's good in the world what's good in our wonderful way of life and there's things in america that are really good and should be upheld and celebrated and preserved but we're not just going to go along blindly because there's things in america that should not be upheld and preserved that need to be critiqued and transformed and not included in the life of a disciple. So the gospel truth there is don't just simply conform, but be transformed into a disciple. All right, Romans 12. Let's move to Romans 13. Here's the key point. The law is fulfilled through love. The law is fulfilled through love. So key verse is Romans 13, 9 through 10. Somebody want to read that one? For the commandment, for the... For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling or is fulfilling of the law. Great, thanks. Okay, so gospel truth. We're tempted to two equal and opposite theological sins. So these are the two paradigms. I think one of the best ways to see the world is uh, something... Um, that I call the the, par- the pendulum principle. The pendulum principle. 
So what happens is we make a mistake, whether it be a theological mistake or a financial um, mistake or a political mistake, a group of people make the response is to do the opposite of that thing, right? So let's think of let's think theologically. I think there's reason to believe that a, a few generations behind us, maybe 25, 30 years ago, that the church at large, especially the tradition that, that we come out of, um, made a mistake of being too legalistic in the way that they practiced their religion. Very kind of rules based. If you don't do it exactly this way, then then you're not you're not doing it right and kind of really emphasis on like condemnation and not enough centered on grace. And I think the response to that, it's very easy to say, that is so wrong and that hurts so many people that we need to make so sure we're not doing that that we're gonna do the opposite of that. Right? And so you can it's very easy and very tempting to become so grace-centered, so loving-centered, so worried about condemning and talking about rules that you kind of miss this whole idea of holiness and sovereignty and, and the different life that God's called us to. That's a theological one, but you could, you could go to other aspects too. I, I'm not going to do this tonight because I don't want to get into arguments, but I think if you walk through the past like 25, 30 years of American presidents and you say, President X, here's the things he did that were bad. So we elected President Y, the next president, who is exactly the opposite of the, pre- the preceding president. And the, the, the response to the first error did not solve the situation, right? So, so the, the point is, the opposite of evil is not always good. Sometimes the opposite of evil is also evil, right? So what we're looking for is not the opposite of evil, but we're looking for truth and goodness and wisdom. And often that's not a pendulum that swings back and forth, but we need a spiritual wisdom that rises above that kind of thinking. Okay? And so here's the two kind of competing opposite theological sins that I think it's so easy to fall into if we're not discerning. The first is Pharisee theology. So you see only law and no love. Pharisee theology, you see only law and no love. I think you guys all know what I'm talking about. You have seen or heard people teach that way, and that's sinful. That's not the gospel. The second is we'll call hipster theology. <laughs> hipster theology, and this is you see only love and no law. And I think you, we've seen some of that too. You, there's definitely some popular bloggers and YouTube preachers and uh, New York Times bestselling authors that kind of have this all law and no love. And I think both of those kind of miss the gospel. And definitely miss the gospel uh, that, that Paul preaches. So a gospel-transformed mind sees love as the fulfillment of the law. Right? So this is what I mean about the pendulum principle. It's not Paul's not trying to like find the middle ground between law and love. He's seeing perfect law leads to perfect love. And perfect love leads to perfect law. They fulfill each other. Look at the end of the, of the text there, verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love fulfills the law. So I think we have a tendency, like kind of maybe Ten Commandments uh, religion. You think, I'm going to be a disciplined person, so I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to like think about wanting my, my neighbor's stuff. I'm not going uh, to steal because those are the wrong things to do. So I'm going to be a law follower. And uh, what, what Paul's saying is that's not the right way to think about it. The reason you shouldn't commit adultery isn't simply because you're going to follow the checklist and do the right things. You shouldn't commit adultery because you have made a loving covenant with your spouse. And so out of love, you're going to be committed to loving your spouse and not forsaking that bond. And you're not going to 
covet and want your brother or sister or neighbor's stuff because they're someone made in the image of God and you want to celebrate and love when good things happen to them, right? And so it's not like a, a discipline, I'm going to follow the law, but you're going to follow the law because you love so much, right? So that's the point of Romans 13. All right, Romans 14 and 15. Both these chapters are the same point. Showing grace to one another on non-essential issues. Showing grace to one another on non-essential issues. So there's two key verses here, one from each chapter. Romans 14, verse 20. Who's got that one for us? Okay. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed, indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Let's just make sure make sure we're all caught up. Remember the paradigm in Romans. The Roman the letter to the Roman church was written at a time after the Jewish Christians had returned to Rome. So remember, the Roman emperor expels the Jewish all the Jews from Rome, and then um, after Claudius dies, the Roman emperor, new emperor Nero comes to power, allows the Jews to come back into Rome. So this church used to be primarily Jewish. All the Jews were kicked out of Rome. Well, of course, now the Jew, the church culturally becomes much more Gentile because there's no Jews in Rome. Then the Jews are allowed to come back into Rome, so now you have this tension. Not unlike things that happen all over the world when two kind of cultures are trying to figure out how to interact together, right? So you could, you could in your mind, think of all kinds of scenarios that we've been in that are kind of like this. How do you kind of mesh these kind of two culturally different perspectives? The most important thing and tension from the Jewish perspective was following these Jewish customs, especially the food laws. And so... Um, let's just maybe use Kyle and me as an example here. So maybe, um, well, let's let's use let's use Will and me. Will and me as an example. So maybe Will has um, Will is the theologically. Okay. So Will is the. Yeah. Will's the theologically strong brother. Okay. And. Um, so he's got a position that's theologically correct, which is that there's nothing wrong with eating meat sacrificed to idols. These other gods that you're sacrificing meat to are not real gods. They don't exist, and so there's nothing wrong with eating meat sacrificed to them. Maybe I'm a Jewish Christian, and I, and I, come, um, I come from this history that feels very uncomfortable with eating meat sacrificed to those gods because part of my history talked about how, how evil that was. And so Will feels uncomfortable about it, and I feel okay about it. So that's kind of the tension. Can we read this next verse here, and then I'll, we'll kind of land the plane on this idea. Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay. So Paul's point here is that um, if you, just because you're theologically correct, doesn't mean that you should kind of walk over your brother who is and theologically incorrect, right? So he's got this tension here. I'm saying you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's, it's wrong and it's sinful. And I'm incorrect in that assessment. Will knows that I'm incorrect. Paul's ask, asking Will to show um, graciousness to me and show um, so charity to me by not eating meat in front of me and not lording that over me. So I think there's a couple interesting things here that ought to be said. Sometimes when there's a tension, like a theologically divisive topic, we don't take an opinion on the issue, right? We say, well, I have an opinion, but it's going to cause division, so I just won't say anything. I think it's interesting Paul doesn't do that, 
right? Paul says, it's okay to eat meat. So, so there can be teaching done to say, hey, let's all get together and let's walk through why eating meat sacrificed to idols is, is not a problem. But then Paul also says he, says, he says later, if it causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. So the theological principle, this is what we would call a second order doctrine. It's not one of the like, primary doctrines of Christian faith. And he's not going to let a second order doctrine create disunity in the family. Right? He's going to yield to the weaker brother uh, in order for uh, unity. So there's a famous quote here is our, our gospel truth. In, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Kind of trivia for tonight. It's interesting. There's a this quote is attributed to like seven or eight different people. Like all the different um, religious leaders of different new denominations all said our leader said this quote, and so that's the the quote that we're gonna to go with. Interesting in the um, in the restoration tradition. Some people say that Alexander Campbell, who was kind of started the restoration movement, said this first, which is funny because there's people like 500 years earlier quoted as saying it. So I don't think he's the the first person that said it. It's probably like just a maybe a 20-minute Google search. I think the first guy to say it was actually this kind of not well-known Lutheran monk who this is kind of the only real significant thing he did was say this sentence that a lot of people thought was awesome. So we don't remember him, but we put this sentence in the mouth of, of all these like different uh, important Christian leaders. But let's unpack it just a little bit. So the idea of inessentials unity. So this is, you might want to write under this primary. This is the idea of like primary doctrines. There's things as Christians, as a Christian family, that we are not going to have diversity about. Right? We're not going to have diversity of opinion about does God exist. Right? If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. And so the, that's a spot where we're not going to have diversity and all kind of to be together in the same family. We're going to have teaching. right? And we're going we're gonna to love you as an image bearer of God. But if you don't believe God exists, you're not in the Christian family. If you don't believe Jesus is divine, if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, if you don't believe in the authority of the Bible, I think those are really primary essential doctrines that to be a healthy community, we've got to have unity around. So we want to invite people to, to, to be fellow travelers with us that don't embrace um, unity on these primary doctrines. But to be in a Christian family, to be a disciple, we've got to be unified on the essentials. But in non-essentials, liberty. So this might, um, these might be like second-level questions. You might say like secondary questions. So these could range from important secondary questions. There are some secondary questions uh, that if we disagreed on, I would say that you're a Christian, you know, but I probably wouldn't go to the same church you go to. All right, and we'll maybe talk about some of those later. But there's some things that it's okay for Christians to disagree about and just go, some, go to a different church on Sunday morning but still be Christian brothers and sisters. These are kind of secondary issues. And then I would say there's, there's tertiary issues, issues that we, like, we can go to church together if, like, um, I think some of the stuff Grant talked about last night, like exactly how does predestination work and how does the sovereignty of God play out from an individual basis versus a community basis. There's people I go to church with who see that, like, like kind of differently, and we can still exist in the same family. If you're a like, if you view Revelation, if you're a premillennialist versus a postmillennialist or an amillennialist, or like I don't care about a millennialist, like if you're any of those kind of positions, I think we can go to church together. We don't need to have like a different church for every person who reads a sentence of the Bible every little different way. This is important because human nature, we're, we're tribal creatures the way our brain works. And so we think, oh, you have a different opinion than me. You're on the other team. Let's fight. And that's the way everything in our culture kind of tries to conform us to think. But that's not a Christian way to think. So if something is not important, don't create division over it. Right? We don't need to divide on stuff that's not worth dividing over. 
and then in all things charity. So even if you even if you do need to divide over something, you do it in a loving way that honors Christ. Okay, so which of these three principles, unity, liberty, and charity, do you need to do a better job of living out in your life? So let me maybe 30 seconds unpacking this. I think some people might need to do a better job of recognizing that there are some principles that we need to create unity around. So that we need to draw harder lines on some topics and say, you know what, we got to emphasize the truth of Scripture. And then some of us need to be more inclusive on things that don't matter. And some of us need to be more loving to people who, um, who are hard to love for whatever reason. And some of us, like me, need to do all three. So what is just maybe if, if a couple of you would share one of those three that kind of feels like I could do better in that area. Um, so this is like a personal story, but Preacher Knoxville had a really good sequence for a series on um, like spiritual tolerance. And it's mm-hmm. basically centered around these verses. And uh, he gave the example of like his grandfather was a preacher, and whenever they had small group with a certain group from church, they would always put their pool table in the closet because that was like a gambling source of mm-hmm. gambling or whatever. And somebody had like a gambling problem or something like that. And you know, it was like he, he said it was this really profound lesson of like you know he kind of hated that he had to pick up the pool table and move it into this other room every time. But you know, as he grew up, he realized that that was even though it was something that he would like. Why why does the pool table matter? He was he was sacrificing in order for somebody else's yeah. spirituality to you know, flourish and to not be tempted, to not cause his brother to stumble. And I, 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 I always thought that, that was a really good example. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Well, hearing that makes my skin crawl, so my, I need to work on charity. Because <laughs> um, I feel like I've grown up around that so much, and I've had to kind of accept it and deal with it. And I think I've reached a point in my age where it's just, I just, you know, I get worn out with that a little bit. So I, like, so I need to work on the charity part of it. So, like, I remember, well... Uh, I just I feel like if you grow up in a real legalistic kind of world, you just want to sort of be like free of that. And uh, so I don't think I struggle with like the liberty part. I don't think I struggle with the unity part. Like I think I understand what I feel to be the essentials, and I'm you know very committed to that. It's it's for me it's a charity with people that are the the weak as it were in the story um, on different topics. Some of them more than others, but I feel like there also is a whole conversation about people who use their weakness. As a, as a tool or as a weapon and uh, it's, so it's deciding like how much charity do you offer and what is it to the point where it's like you, you kind of like killing us here you know so I think like it certainly as you get into leadership role in the church it, it, it shows itself a lot and it can get really frustrating so trying to not get annoyed like I got really annoyed Sunday about something and it's just like uh, I don't know so I, I need to work on it and need to realize that there are things that are more important and if putting a pool table away like can avoid disunity, then you put the pool table away. You don't need the pool table, you know. That's that's a lesson I have to sort of learn and tell myself over and over. I think it's definitely charity for me as well, because I, I don't know, I, I know we all feel this way. When we feel like we're right about something, or if we know we're right about something, we kind of want everyone else to be like logical or sensible, or since, yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm trying to say, about that thing. And we don't want to yield, or I personally don't want to yield when I know that I'm right. I'd rather just everyone else be right with me rather than <laughs> like swallow my pride and be wrong with everyone else. Um, so, 
that's definitely something like charity just like taking a step back and like is this really important probably not so mm. I totally agree yeah and in this situation the crazy thing is like they were right like Paul told mm-hmm. them they were right yeah. so it's like well we still have to like deal with this yeah it's almost like when you have like a, like a special pass at like an event or you, you have your ticket at the airport and you are a, a, well, a, what a pre-check or whatever, but because I look 18, they never think I have pre-check and I'm like, I've got the pre like, <laughs> you know, like that feeling of like, it's, it's unjust. That's how I feel when people are like, oh, if you wouldn't mind, would you? And it's like, ah, oh, come on, you're slowing me down. You know, that's how I always feel. It's like, you're making my life more difficult. But the point of this, I think, is that if you're strong and you have that liberty, then you should be willing to, to give that liberty up. It's a lot harder to, to go the other way. Whereas if you feel like it's wrong, it's really hard to like do that. It's a lot easier if you feel like it's okay either way just to give in. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a source of pride, too. It's like you feel very strongly about something. that, And so you don't want to yield. Even like, And that's hard to you know take a step back and just say, you know, maybe this isn't something to worry so much about. Mm-hmm. I think it almost feels like you're condoning the behavior of mm. being legalistic if you... Mm. Yeah. Because you're sacrificing, but they're not. That's what it feels like. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I think, though, too, like there's something to be said about just like every generation is going to feel that way a little bit about the generation above them. Like, I think... So I think definitely, like, probably the majority of us would say that charity is something that we struggle with. Well, we're in the generation that, like, we're rising into leadership in so many ways, professionally and in church and whatever else, just your experience in life. And so now you're like, well, I've got some experience under my feet, and, like, I I have some opinions. I have figured some things out. And so you start, there starts to be this, like, tension between you and the people ahead of you where you're, like, you know, but someday, like, that's going to be us, and so I think that there's a level of, like, honor and respect and a, and a desire to learn from those people and gain wisdom from them that I think comes from a spirit of humility that I think everyone in our generation really needs to be mm-hmm. reminded of, you know, so I don't know. I, I tend, I mean, I'm the same as Kyle, but I tend to think, like, these are my our parents were frustrated with so like what can we like learn from them why are they there and how can we try and better understand them that's wise Good, man. Says some good stuff. Okay, let's Romans 16 is not a real deep theological chapter, so let's just kind of um, wrap up Romans. So the key point here is Paul greets his friends in Rome. He names all these people and kind of gives these like little like Subtext, shout out to a bunch of people. It's kind of an interesting chapter. I wonder, like, who is this person or whatever. Uh, he's paid, he pays special attention to this woman named Phoebe, who at some level was, was influential and, and a, a leader in the church and um, has some other friends in Rome. He says something to. Here's Romans 16, 25 through 27. I'll read this. This is uh, kind of a famous sign-off the end of, end of the book. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. So this idea of mystery comes up in Romans several times. So this is a mystery that's been revealed. This is the gospel. 
but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made, made known to all the nations. One of the things beautiful about Romans is he's connecting the story of the, Israel, of the people of Israel to the story of Jesus. So he's, how Jesus fulfills all this prophecy and grafts in the Gentiles into the people of God who were Israel according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel truth. The gospel is a mystery revealed that we can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ and a prophecy fulfilled. The Old Testament pointing towards Jesus. The God who has planned salvation is all wise and deserves glory. That's your blank. Forevermore. So in a lot of ways, the point of the Christian life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so Paul ends with glory. So if you think about Romans, we've been all the way through. We've got four big movements, and we've done spent time in each of the four. And tonight was the last one, emphasis on unity of the church. So next week we'll do the Romans Road, and hope you guys can think about and pray about one person to invite. Maybe they'll say no, and there's no problem with that. Okay, thank you to David for an excellent lesson on Romans 12 through 16. And there you have it. That's been Romans. And so it's been an awesome five weeks to study through that. Next week will be our outreach group. We do uh, ask that you try and invite at least one person. And uh, hopefully we'll get some new people here with us next Monday night. We're going to be looking at what's called the Romans Road. It's an evangelical uh, kind of um, concept or uh, not theory, but it's a sort of an evangelical method of going through different verses in Romans that help to tell the gospel. And so I think coming right off Romans, that's a cool way to approach that. We'll also have dinner and have a good time together and everything like that. But that'll be next Monday, 6.30, same old time, uh, but there will be dinner in that as well. So that's all we have for this week. I uh, hope you have a wonderful week. We will see you next time on the MDDDS podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.